tidal wave has flooded New York City with tons of water. Namor, the submariner, is believed to be responsible, as he was when this previously occurred some decades ago. The monster known as the Hulk is now being hailed as a hero for having diverted a missile from detonating in New York, although that may not matter if the city is washed away. American weapons magnate Tony Stark has suffered a heart attack, while in Washington DC, to testify in front of Congress, concerning a forthcoming test of his atomic earth boring device. Medical examiners have announced that Stark appears to have some sort of metallic chest plate keeping him alive. Finally, the Midnight Stalker who has wreaked havoc in London in recent weeks had been rumored to be nobleman, Lord Kevin Plunder. However, he has been revealed, to have been the accused aristocrat's brother, Lord Parnival Plunder. This is Doombot S18 for the VOL. Zero, one, six. This is, the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, six. Here in Latveria, we get news from all over the world. The news may be good, or bad, but we will always tell you the truth, as Lord Doom sees it. Every week on The Voice of Latveria, we examine Marvel Comics history, through the career of its greatest hero, Dr. Victor Von Doom. And now, here's your host, Douglas Walk. The man who has read every Marvel superhero comic book, and lived to tell us all about it. Thank you, DoobotBR25. My guest this week is Rhett Thomas. Rhett is a comics historian who has worked on a lot of projects over the years, uh, having to do with Marvel Comics for Marvel and Toshin Books, among others. Uh, he also edited Roy Thomas's book, The Stan Lee Story, and he's also the wizard behind CollectedEditions.com. Welcome, Rhett Thomas. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we are looking today at one of a lot of people's absolute favorite Doctor Doom stories, which is the story from Fantastic Four 57 to 60, where Doom steals the power of the Silver Surfer. And also uh, a couple of later stories that kind of built off of that one or approached it from a different angle. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. First off, we've got you know, actual Fantastic Four, four-part serial that started in... FF number 57 by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, inked by Joe Sinat, uh, and it announces Enter Doctor Doom on the first page, and then, boom, you've got a story with the Sandman. for <laughs> Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a little bit of an anti-climax, if you ask me. It's like, uh, you know, Enter Doctor Doom, and here's the Sandman. It's like, come on, let's get the Sandman out of the way. Right. Um, and then, right after, right after we get our... Uh, our dose of the Sandman. Here comes the wizard too. Right. So, uh, um, but I, I, I thought this was, um, you know, it started with a lot of exposition and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, Reed talking about what they're going to do with the Sandman. And, and I especially liked how all these prison guards were remarkably well-informed on the powers and the abilities of, of the, of the wizard in particular. Um, they seem to have a lot of, of great dialogue like that, but, um, I don't know. I just saw where the wizard was breaking out these anti-grav discs and chloroform capsules. And I just knew that we'd see Dr. Doom come out and up the ante very quickly with his um, high quality, high tech um, weaponry. The wizard just can't stand a chance against Dr. Doom. That's, that's very true. Although, so after, after this sort of like three and a half page introduction, we suddenly shift our scene to Latveria where the Silver Surfer just happens to be in Latveria and gets a message sent by this beautiful little piece of Kirby tech to him, fired out of the royal castle. And what's inside this piece of Kirby tech is a kind of parchment summons royal. That's right. It's a it's a it's actually called an Atto missile. And Atto -missile. almost almost as much fun as the Kirby tech is the names they were labeled with. Because yeah. uh, you know, an Atto missile, <laughs> yeah. that that's just really uh, great stuff. Um, and and I do like the uh, the payoff of a of a piece of, of parchment coming out yep. of the of this high tech uh, missile. It's it's pretty funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a summons that says "Know ye by all these presents." <laughs> it's not like "Meet me at the castle." It's it's a formal formal invitation. That's right. Uh, and there's multiple fonts on there. You have the kind of the um, the, the summons royal is in this uh, you know classy uh, standardized text, and then you have cursive. 
right after that. Right, right. Uh, and then back and forth. Doom Rex. Yes. So. Uh, you know, it's it's a given already stomach, a little bit of a lettering workout. That's so right. the, the, the surfer gets uh, summoned to the court of Dr. Doom. And uh, Doom's, Doom's courtroom has a beautiful big picture window, as you'd think it might. And uh, some really, really nice like design work over the window, and also a painting of what looks like an army, and then just a couple pieces of Kirby Tech standing in the corner because that's how he rolls. It's very, very uh, imperial. Um, it's 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 quite beautiful and quite um, ornate. Um, Kirby put a lot of work into this stuff. I, I guess you know it, it's his window into Doom's Doom's mind. Why how he would. Uh, set up a, a court like this, but I, it's, it's part, it's kind of inscrutable to me, I guess, you know, I, I can't really, uh, I can't really suss out what is really going on here other than just projecting power, you know? And uh, Doom explains, power has ever been my God. And in all the universe, there can be no greater truth than knowledge is power. France is bacon. <laughs> right. Doom is laying it on very, very thick in this sequence, almost a little too thick. Um, and, you know, as we get to later, uh, this scene forms the basement, the basis of the Not Brand Act parody that'll come out about six or seven months later. But we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, Doom is laying it on very thick, trying to appear as if you know he's just this gentle man, just interested in, in the progress of science and leading mankind to a, a greater world out on the horizon. And uh, you know, it's funny. You know, one of the great things about this story is that. It's a contrast between two of the most powerful powerful characters in the Marvel universe thus far, you know. But, but yeah. I think these were published in 1966, the yeah. fall of 66. So you have a Doom and Surfer who also just happen to be Stan Lee's two favorite characters. Uh, the Surfer is his favorite hero, and uh, Doom is his favorite uh, supervillain. Right. And so we get a, an instant contrast between these two characters. And I always loved the way this story started out with doom trying to get on the surfer's level and trying to appear as humanitarian and, uh, and, and, and naive in a way as the surfer is, but only one of them is telling the truth. And that's the surfer. He is kind of naive and he falls into doom strap very quickly. He does seem real credulous for somebody who has the power cosmic, but uh, you know, uh, doom, doom is saying uh, a little bit later, well, you know, I've been waging a ceaseless battle for peace and for justice, but in the course of that battle, I need weapons, weapons with which to defend myself from the dastardly enemies of freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Doom's a real lover of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, it, and the surfer is not buying it. Like he's, he's skeptical. He's skeptical, yeah. but, but he, he, he uh, allows himself to be lulled into complacency where doom can make his move. And in the middle of this long sort of you know, two-hander, like it's long dialogue between uh, the Surfer and Doom, we cut away again and we go back to the Sandman plot. Right. Again, <laughs> kind of stops the story in its, in its tracks. I, I don't know why they did this. Reading it back in the 60s probably had a different effect. But for me now, it's like, I just want to get to the action with Doom. It's interesting though. I think, I think ahead of time, Stan probably wanted to do, or Jack, together they wanted to do a four-part epic it seemed like four issues would be pushing the boundaries that they hadn't charted before even the galactus trilogy was only three issues and even that i mean it's um, it's two plus a half in front and half right. in back <laughs> and there's a lot of interludes like this barging into the galactus trilogy right. so maybe they wanted to up the ante with uh with this four-parter but they they still had to feel like they had to th thread in some of these other interesting characters and give us a look at what they're doing but this was this, you know, for such a high concept story, this particular interlude actually isn't all that exciting. I mean, it's exciting looking. It's a big fun action scene with the Sandman and Reed and Sue. It just doesn't really connect to what else is going on in the story. Right. And the moment it cuts away from it again to beautiful Jack Kirby, full page, Kirby tech, crazy, oh, fantastic yeah. scene of what looks like Doom's lab where again, the surfer is being really skeptical of him. You know, my, you know, my eyes do not you know, view this scene with favor. 
Right. <laughs> that's such a great line. But that's a, it's a, it is a beautiful page of art. That forge in the background, you know, making who knows what. Um, and all these other uh, giant machines feeding into it. And I especially love the, the little guy in the lower left-hand corner, you know, who looks like he's a welder of some kind, probably a Latvian under there, or maybe he's a Doombot. I don't know, but I don't think we see this uh, costume design anywhere else, but he, he's, it's just one of those little Kirby touches that is, that's what, what makes me love him, you know, so... And there's a bunch of actual lab techs in your sort of typical purple and blue villain color outfits, and they all look really bent over. They all look like they're doing hard and unpleasant work, and it actually right. looks like a bunch of them are chained up like sled dogs pulling a big device. Right. <laughs> yeah, I do not view that scene with favor, Doug. Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Surfer is skeptical, uh, and especially skeptical when he sees this robotic thing humanoid thing called the pacifier that's right his mobile all-powerful pacifier now that is a jack name i looked at the original art for this and jack kirby's caption he wrote on this is doc doom says of course in my noble fight for peace and justice i gotta use every weapon i can devise like this mobile all ballistic anti-community pacifier it puts down resistance by inequitous enemies of peace in sizable force Mm, that sounds like Kirby dialogue. <laughs> it's totally Kirby dialogue. And what's really interesting is that Lee preserves most of it. Mm -hmm. Like you will very often see Lee just like take one or two key words from Kirby's notes and then just spin this wonderful web of language around them. And here he's like, you know, I'm not going to mess with it. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, I think he takes out anti-community because that's, yes. that's, that's gilding Lily. That's laying it on a yes. little thick. Yes. But, uh, it's, uh, it's, I think Kirby's instinct was to, uh, to show a, a kind of a ironic contrast, you know, something that's anti-community that also pacifies, you know, it's a pacifier, but it's against the community. You know, this, that's kind of ironic and funny in a dark way, but they struck that probably because the, the word bubble was probably going to get a little too big. <laughs> also true. And there's you know, a cute, but also kind of overdoing it scene where like one of his lackeys stumbles into him. Yes. Uh, Doom is about to vaporize him and then realizes like, <laughs> oh, this guy's watching me. And uh, uh, then says, oh, you know, uh, I'm so sorry that you have nothing to fear from me. Go about your business. And then does this scenery chewing sort of looking into the distance kind of thing you know, poor fellow so dependent upon his liege so trusting so innocent right <laughs> you know the surfer you know the surfer seems very wise but all you got to do is flash a picture of outer space in front of him and he just loses it you know he's which is exactly what happens yeah <laughs> doom shows him you know, like I want to say almost like a picture of out of space taken from an issue of strange tales, but <laughs> I love that image of uh, the surfer in the bottom panel that just look on his face. Yeah. is just uh, starry eyed and naive and just childlike. And, um, you know, I'm sure that's what, um, what they were thinking when they were trying to draw out the character of the surfer was character elements like that. And immediately gets, you know, clamps put on his head and uh, gets his power all stolen. Yeah. Kaboom. The, um, the build-up to that is interesting to me because they obviously had to harness Doom with this really elaborate piece of equipment on his <laughs> on his shoulders, on his chest, and on each each gauntlets for each hand. And they're they're his technicians are like whispering to him, <laughs> "All is in readiness, sire." You know, they 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 got that that obviously took a long time, and uh, yeah. the surfer gave them every inch of that time they needed. So, yeah. but that's a beautiful beautiful page. Um, preceding the one everybody knows, which is the big splash page, but the page before it is really lovely too. Um, yeah, it's just about all abstractions. We see there's like a surfer head, there's a doom head, there's a couple of hands, and otherwise it's just about all Kirby crackle and explosion lines. And yeah. would it have been Sol Brodsky still coloring at this point, or who would have been coloring? You no, know, I don't know. I don't know the coloring credits for this issue um, or, or this run of issues. That's a good question. Real sharp, real limited palette. There's right. just two or three different colors in each panel, and it totally nails it. Yeah, it's a it's it, Kirby Crackle is one of the first things that actually drew me to Kirby art when I was like <laughs> seven or eight years old. 
it's just so mysterious and so exotic. And it's like coming out of people's mouths and coming out of people's arms and fists. And, you know, the air around them is breathing with this stuff. And it just, it, it grabbed me and pulled me in um, for what else was going on. So I've always loved Kirby Crackle very much. But yeah, we do have to talk about this beautiful splash page. Yeah. Um, Dr. Doom standing over the Silver Surfer who's been humbled and had his cosmic power stripped from him. And of course, Dr. Doom just bathing in this coruscating power that, you know, he's convinced is now makes him, um, he says it the power enough to challenge Galactus himself. So, you know, we, we can see here where Doom's ambitions had been elevated from simply taking over the world to now challenging Galactus himself. That's, that's a pretty big step for Dr. Doom. Yeah. And having had this dramatic climax, we immediately have a dramatic anticlimax, which is three pages <laughs> of the interminable Inhumans plot. That's right. Yeah. You know, I always love the Inhumans and this, this is, you know, it, it, it's kind of frustrating, uh, but at the same time, it just shows what peak capacity that Lee and Kirby were operating at, that they had to wedge in pages for the Inhumans as they did. They, they got, I think, a couple complaints in the letter pages about this, but but I think most fans at the time just were coveting appearances from these characters because there just wasn't room to put them in their own titles, so you had to wedge them into stories like this. What's really odd is that in all four issues of this, I believe we cut away for scenes with the Inhumans and it never connects to the main plot. Right. At all. So suddenly we get back to uh, Doom and Latveria and suddenly it gets real exciting again. These are my favorite, among my favorite couple pages because it, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid, which is The Wizard of Oz. You have, <laughs> um, you know, you have Doom, you know, just appearing in the air, just terrorizing these you know, townspeople, um, you know, it just reminds me of the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, flying across the sky with her, with her, uh, on her broom, you know, trailing smoke. And, you know, it's just, uh, it, it reminds me of that a lot. And uh, I love it for that. <laughs> and he's, he's just flying over Latvian city streets and just blowing up everything in sight, laughing. Flee, you mortal fools, flee before the matchless might, the awesome majesty of the new master of all mankind. Well, that's doing for you, you know? Yeah. I also like now that we transition from that scene of, of total terror, we could see Reed Richards uh, at a desk. Yes. <laughs> he's like, he's like drawing out plans on, on some paper. He's got a, I think he's, he's got a pencil in one hand and a slide rule in another. <laughs> so. While Ben Grimm is watching the Marvel superheroes show. Marvel superheroes. That's yeah. right. Oh, that's right. That was the one with the, the super, super limited animation, right? Yes. They actually took the uh, um, artboards, uh, the original art, and cut them up and used them as the the some of the some of the art they they used in the in the cartoons. So wow, yeah. So with this, we move to uh, fifty eight, the dismal dregs of defeat. There, a couple of days ago, I was uh, looking up a, a few pages of art for a, another episode of this that I was working on, and I forget what issue it is, but you can see in the margin. Stanley is trying to figure out the alliteration for something, and he's just <laughs> listing a whole bunch of words that start with B, trying to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Dismal Drugs of Defeat is one of my favorite titles of all time. Up there with Low, There Shall Be an Ending. It's a great cover for this issue, the second chapter in this four-part, because it shows, you know, Dr. Doom standing supreme, and, and the rest of the, uh, a common theme of the rest of the story for the FF will be humiliation that they've been absolutely humiliated by Dr. Doom. Yeah, uh, when Jeet here was on the show a few weeks ago, he was talking about like Doom as Hobbes Leviathan, like the Doom always appears as a huge, overwhelming, standing above everything kind of figure. And that's once again, what he is on this cover. And it's what he is on the first page where we see a negative image of him yeah. showing up as like an electrical hologram of Doom's face in the yeah. middle of a rainstorm. I had a little trouble with this scene because I'm asking myself, what are the FF doing hanging out on the roof during a rainstorm? Uh, but, I, but I'm thinking that maybe Doom sub summoned the rainstorm to, you know, to help uh, bring out about this lightning that he appears in. Uh, so maybe they were just getting off their pogo plane and walking in um, and he just happened to, you know, bounce on top of them at, at this time. But it's such, I love the scene. I especially love the second 
piece of art that shows that negative figure of doom. It's it's just really the way it's drawn out. Uh, I, I think it's a very exotic piece of art by Kirby. Very striking. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, on that page and the next page, there's the explanation that it happened really fast and Doom made it happen himself because he's got the power cosmic now. Right. It's interesting to me that Doom's first use of his cosmic power would be just to taunt the Fantastic Four, just to taunt them. You know, not to rub them out and to, to, you know, obliterate them, but just to taunt them with little, you know, shadow figures of himself. But also to make a rainstorm, which we're going to see echoed way down the line in uh, the X-Men story where he's got Storm in his castle and she brings the rain. Hey, nice uh, connection there. Yeah, I don't think that was deliberate on anyone's part, but you know. No, it, but that's the kind of observance that comes from a man who's read every single Marvel comic. So give yourself <laughs> some credit here. <laughs> All right, I'll, 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 I'll take that. Doom now has the surfer powerless and imprisoned. Now you're barely able to move a muscle since your new master has stripped you of your power. To which the surfer, bless him, says, Master, Galactus had been my master. You are but a flea. Yeah, that's great. Really good. And then we get Kirby close up, one of his like super intense close ups of a couple of eyes at the canted angle. It it reminds me of one of the great um, ideas that Kirby had about Dr. Doom. And this is a clear example where I think Kirby was right and Lee was flat wrong. And that is that Kirby had the idea that Doom was not scarred underneath his mask. And every time you see um, a little bit of skin underneath um, the mask, usually around the eyes, um, you see, a, you know, there's no scarring and there's no indication that there's anything horrific underneath the mask. It's, right. it's a normal human face. I love that idea by Jack. I wish Stan had, had accepted that and gone with it um, or later creators had, had gone with it. But, but uh, because the idea of, of Doom's narcissism being informed by just the tiniest maybe of blemishes on his face, causing yeah. him to want to put this mask on to me is just so, you know, significant and, and deep. And that's the doom I prefer to read about when I'm reading these stories. That's the doom I'm thinking of until I can no longer think of it because the story, you know, shows me a horrifically disfigured man. He flies off. He can fly anywhere because he's got the surfboard now surfing Dr. Doom. And once again, we get a complete change of tone to a really actually charmingly funny little scene with the thing reading a book of ghost stories and feeling a hand land on his shoulder. And of course it's Reed's hand, but he's freaking out first. This is one of the reasons why Ben Grimm is my favorite character (laughs) of all characters is he is so funny. It's, and he's, he's not only funny um, because of his wisecracks, but also his pathos, you know, and this scene, you know, leads you to believe that Ben would be so freaked out by that negative image of doom that he would rush to reading a, a book about uh, ghost stories to just sort of like get some escapist entertainment. But uh, I, I just love, I love the way that Jack Kirby animates him. His eyes are so emotive and um, the way he, the way he uh, designs the things uh, body he's, he's hunched over and his, his shoulders are real tight reading this book. He's like, you can tell he's on the edge of his seat. And it's just a, it's just a nice little panel and art that, you, you know, you don't notice maybe the first time, but in repeated readings, these kinds of Kirby touches really come out. And I love that. It's Reed and Sue announcing that they're uh, going to go have a nice weekend someplace. <laughs> going to go up South- to Southampton. Southampton, that's right. We've just seen some horrific electrical uh, premonitions. The doom is up to something terrible. So let's let's uh, let's relax while we can. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe, hey, maybe, maybe call your girlfriend. So th- there's an unusually slightly clunky page transition where we go from a couple of panels of Ben just kind of like sitting around going, I wonder what's going to happen next to doom blowing the side of the building open and like grabbing him with power cosmic force, which Lee covers up for (laughs) with God bless this caption at that split second, as though cued by some omnipotent unseen (laughs) stage director, (laughs) Ben Grimm's whole world seems to come crashing down around him. Yeah. This page has my favorite piece of dialogue from the whole four-part series <laughs> is on this page. Do you, do you know which one that is? Uh, I will have to guess. You insufferable, unspeakable blot on the escutcheon of humanity. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Doom's taunt to thing. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's... 
That is some real solid Doom dialogue there. I remember having to look up escutcheon when I first read this. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> you know? Escutcheons are things that only ever have blots on them. That's right. Unspeakable yeah. blots. Yeah. So we, we really shouldn't uh, speak about this any further. And so this is a uh, full-on, non-stop, four-page thing versus Doom fight scene. And those are always the best fights. Yeah. They, there's real personal animus going on there. Yes, there is. And it's funny, it's uh, evoked by the panel on page uh, six, where Doom says, makes a callback to the scene where he, uh, the thing nearly crushed his hand. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't, I don't recall what issue that was. And I'm kind of surprised there wasn't 40. an editorial note. Okay. Number 40. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so it's, it's neat that they, uh, they had a callback to that and they, sh that it underlines the, the, the savagery of this particular fight. And it's actually pretty brutal. Uh, yeah. this, this fight so and ends really brutally he just slows ben to a standstill it turns him into a statue right with the vibration his vibration eyes yeah because so. power cosmic that's right power cosmic is really useful it was interesting that ben pointed out that doom i like the line where he says doom may have the power cosmic but he doesn't know how to use it yet yeah so that that underlines the only advantage that the Fantastic Four is going to have here. It sort of helps us understand that this is still a beatable foe if only the FF can find a way. Right. So, but yeah, we're, we're now back to Johnny and Wyatt. And now there's a hole in the wall of the Baxter building, which lets the Fantastic Four get back together. That's right. And lets there be a whole bunch more action coming up. Uh, Doom attacks Reed and Sue, who are up at Southampton, where once again, like, you know, Reed cannot be torn away from his work. I thought I'd just modify this little conductive inverter while you were dressing, honey. Well, I don't know if you know this, Doug, but conductive inverters are really, really tough to work with. You really have to have focus on this. So Doom thinks in terms of traps. Like he doesn't as often think in terms of direct attacks as he does like, here's a clever death trap. That's an odd aspect of his particular psychology. Well, I think he... You know, he likes to uh, he likes to see his own uh, ingenuity unfold. You know, he likes to he also likes to see his own ingenuity become clear to his foes. Like, yeah. oh, we've been outwitted, we've been outsmarted. His favorite uh, situation is watching people be humbled before him. That yeah. that's what he doesn't. He he really stops short of outright destroying people. He wants to see them suffer. That's what yeah. he really likes. Yeah. Uh, suffer and also be at his disposal later on. Right. <laughs> and this is a scene where, again, looking at uh, the marginal notes that Kirby made on his art, this time what's actually in the dialogue is very different from what Kirby wrote. Mm -hmm. uh, in the scene where Reed has Doom lifted up and is kind of flinging him around in the air, uh, what Kirby wrote is Doom is whirled off balance by Reed, who feels an unconscious Doc Doom cannot use his powers. There's none of that that's in the dialogue because it's also kind of visually clear from context. The fight continues a little bit. Uh, Doom now has an energy activated mace with which he whomps Reed. And we get another of the thing that Kirby used to do at this point that fell out of fashion not long after Kirby left Marvel in the early 70s, which is the mid-page and even mid-tier scene shift. You really don't see like one scene making way for the next in the middle of the second tier of a page anymore. So we go from the fight between Doom and Reed right. to where Johnny discovers Ben, sees he's right. a statue, immediately concludes that <laughs> what he needs is that portable metabolism accelerator that Reed right. happened to have lying around. His life. That's right. You know, Johnny knew that the cure for the vibration rays was that portable metabolism accelerator. And it, it's interesting how many of these uh, designs are also portable. So that's yeah. very helpful. But and yeah, that page is, that page isn't the best executed page because that, that image of, of Dr. Doom, you know, that, that mace sort of appearing in his hand and then him raising it above his, above his head is just really high energy and really great yeah. and it, it just kind of stops right. and it doesn't lead to anything befitting those first two panels this somehow leads to johnny figuring out like 
I know where to go. Um, right. <laughs> Southampton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they got a hideaway cottage there. So uh, we finally have three quarters of the team together, but we don't have Ben there because Ben is still frozen. But after a, a big old fight in which, in the course of which uh, the cottage gets burned to the ground because Johnny, right. Johnny, Johnny what? Uh, Johnny's so rash. He just can't, you know. Wyatt now has been sent with the metabolism accelerator and uh, instructions for how to use it to magically get Ben back up to speed. There's some more um, sort of uh, clunky storytelling here on page uh, 17 and 18. Yeah. um, Where we see, you know, the human torch turned into what looks like kind of like Iceman from the X-Men and then knocked aside. And then he says to himself, I'm not beaten yet. I just need one final surge of heat. That's all I need. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And then the next panel, it, we, we can't really tell what's happening, except that there's a giant room yeah. that devastates the building. Um, now, Reed and Sue fill in the action. They tell us what's happening, but I don't right. fully believe it. I think that's, I, I don't know that that's really what's happening. They say that Johnny freed himself and he's in fact, just start resting a little so he can recover his power. And then we do literally see on the next page, Johnny's back in the fight against Dr. Doom fighting him directly again. So it's just some unusual storytelling there that I think was probably a lapse in, in Kirby's concentration. You know? Well, you know, I almost have to wonder if uh, these pages were rearranged somehow. It's possible. It is, however, another example of Doom's long-standing fascination with freezing people. Like he never sets anybody on fire. He doesn't use heat, but he uses freezing stuff a lot. Low temperature. That's a good weapon against uh, against the torch. So it is. He more often uses uses it against Reed for unclear reasons. Here's another example of Lee kind of ignoring Kirby's marginal notes. Uh, the last page of this issue, uh, you know, Reed and Sue are consoling each other while Doom flies off on his surfboard, uh, and Doom having just told them, like, you're helpless, you know this now, I can kill you anytime I want, see you later. The final uh, panel, Kirby's notes are, meanwhile, Doom zooms toward Europe, eager to flex his muscles of ultimate power. That's all left out. Last panel right. just says, next issue, Doomsday. Right. That dialogue was obviously in conflict with, I guess, Dan felt that they needed a little uh, plug there at the end for the next issue more than they needed more dialogue. Yeah. But I, I think that top panel is, is, is lovely. It's, um, it's, it's, a, it's another take on the scene from the cover. You know, you have Dr. Doom hovering over a giant pit yeah. um, that's been created from their battle. And then you can tell that everybody looks demoralized and defeated, you know, the Fantastic Four and even Wyatt is in there. So I'm just curious when uh, Jack would have drawn that cover. Would he have drawn it before this scene or after this scene? That's huh. I don't know, but um, it's it's interesting to see that um, that that story beat was replicated in both places. Moving on, get to the, the third part, Doomsday, where interestingly the cover is it is an abstract shot of the Fantastic Four around the figure of Black Bolt. Right. Because kind of the big point of this issue from one point of view is this is the one where the Inhumans get free. This is one where right. Black Bolt flexes what he can do. Right. Again, there's a substantial chunk of this issue that is devoted to the Inhumans plot. Doesn't really relate to the Doom plot. Right. Interesting. It's like it is two separate narratives going on at once. There is one thematic thing we can look at and that's the contrast between the way doom uh is monarch over his people and the way black bolt is monarch over his and um, that's an interesting thread that you can sort of compare as you read both um stories going on in these issues um so i guess we can talk about that a little later when we actually see these scenes unfold with the inhumans uh so once again like I don't know how many issues of Fantastic Four start with like Reed working on something in his lab. Right. <laughs> uh, the only one I think we've seen more often is Ben lifting something very, very heavy. He's he's talking to the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying, uh, we have a problem. Doom is now omnipotent. What are we going to do about it? 
of What's course. great about this, uh, about this page too, and the tech reads using it is a constant reminder that back in the 60s, you know, I, I'm sure Jack understood miniaturization, but, you know, we're talking now uh, through little devices we can hold in our hands, but read requires this massive contraption uh, with something that looks like a, you know, a, a TV camera that would be in a news studio. It's, it's a huge bulking thing. And it just takes up most of the design of the page um, just to project his image to um, another, uh, another group of eyes somewhere you know, across the world. It's just funny to me you know, that te technology has come so far in the 60 plus years that the story was published that even Jack couldn't have conceived of something so tiny being able to do the same thing. First, you know, read broadcast to the whole world. Then he talks to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And then Ben tries to beat him up just to blow off some steam. Dude. I like the general who's poo-pooing the idea of intervening. He's like, what are we supposed to do? Just declare a state of war just because you say so? But then all of a sudden, it just takes one line of dialogue from Reed. And he's saying, all right, boys, fire up Operation Buildup. <laughs> <laughs> what is operation buildup we never really know but that's the kind of dialogue from stan that i love it's just so yeah. full of enthusiasm for the situation you know yeah. a whole bunch of bombers fly off toward latveria uh from russia yes that's right uh, this is a the cause of a worldwide alliance that's right uh and everybody flies off and suddenly there's a corrosive cloud that eats all the metal in their planes and everybody's able to bail out and parachute a lot of bailout parachutes going back to the first issue of fantastic four yes that's right <laughs> and uh amazing spider-man too um with yeah. the space capsule and all oh that. that's right yeah uh yeah. it is it is a real fortunately they survived moment that's right i love how you know you know, you and I would think about what we would do with something like the power cosmic, how we would manifest it. So Doom, Doom thinks that he would create a corrosive cloud. Right. I would never think of making a cloud that's corrosive. Um, I would just snap my fingers like Thanos and just watch the things disappear because it's so expedient. But I like how Doom has these clever things up his, up his sleeve, you know. Now, the interesting thing is that Doom already has a perfectly good impenetrable dome that covers Latveria uh, that we saw back in Avengers 25. It's controlled mm -hmm. with a lever. I'm like, the lever got busted in Avengers 25, but <laughs> presumably the impenetrable dome is still there. He could just build yeah. another one, but, but no, he's got different defense here. Oh, he might not have had a chance to fix that lever. So, yeah, that's um, true. You know. But yeah, then, so then we, we go to um, Doom, you know, walking through his, uh, you know, high-tech uh, lair. And then he arrives in a very low-tech prison space yes. where the Silver Surfer is, is just really been humbled here. Now, what's interesting is that it looks like your dungeon. We see chains, we see straw on the floor. The Surfer is not actually chained to anything. Right. He's, he's just lying there being very low energy. Uh, and complaining like, oh, you don't really know how to use the power cosmic. Right. Well, that's to me the basis of Doom's disrespect for the surfer is is that he does he he has no respect for the surfer because he doesn't know how to use his powers. With powers like the power cosmic, there's really only one thing you can do, and that is conquest. Okay. And the surfer is just this, you know, living inside of his head and anguishing about the human condition, and you know. No, use the power. Use this power to dominate. And Doom just does not respect you if you can't be on that level. Reed has been working nonstop on trying to figure out what to do. Strangely, this time he hasn't grown stubble. Yes, you know, that, you're right. That's, that's how you can tell that. this is not quite as bad as Galactus. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but he did give uh, Wyatt a portable communitel. A portable communitel, that's right. It's, you know... It, struck, it looks like one of the smartphones of today, if the smartphone of today looked like a 60s era black and white TV with a hand strap on top. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's but, about right. Yeah. So uh, I think Kirby outdid himself with this one. <laughs> yeah. The torch tries to demonstrate that, uh, oh, he'll be fine. He can take out Doom uh, in a scene that is really mostly an excuse for Jack to draw a Ferrari Dino V6 Berlinetta special. Oh, is that what that is? I did not know that. <laughs> it is explained in, in a caption. Oh, that's right. It did. Yeah, I glossed over that when I was reading that. You're right. Is that a real car? I'm not a car guy. I have no idea. Yeah, not the either. faintest idea. I'm not a car guy either. Johnny likes hot rods. 
He does. Uh, didn't he uh, accept the uh, spool car that was given to him by what's his name from the Terrible Three way back? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, he's got a whole garage of these cars, though. Yeah. You, you More can, than you, any other teenager you can think of. You can buy Johnny's favor really easily with a hot rod. Yes. Um, so speaking of cities that have impenetrable domes over them. Yes. Back to the Inhumans Great Refuge. Yes, there's more than one of those in this issue. Black Bolt finally raises his voice. This is a really, really beautiful and legendary sequence, this whole yep. Inhuman sequence. It's really uh, a pivotal sequence in this in this in uh, these characters' uh, history. And Jack really stepped up to the occasion for this. It's, it, you know, the, the, um, you know, the Black Bolt is just one of the most regal figures that has ever and John and uh, for a reason, I mean, he's the king, <laughs> but also because he's so quiet, Jack had to do everything he could with his body language to communicate um, because Black Bolt wasn't going to utter a syllable unless he meant it. <laughs> right. So This is the pivotal, massively important scene for the Inhumans history, which doesn't really have anything to do with our main plot here, but it's, for the people who are reading this book for the Inhumans, and presumably there are some of those, like that's that's what's happening there. We're back to Doom just kind of showing off what he can do to show off. Right. Uh, this time he's apparently back in Latveria, or maybe someplace else he's being referred to as the Evil One, which is not something that his citizens tend to call him. Uh, yeah, he's really showing his ass to his uh, citizens in this issue, isn't he? I mean, very he's much. Just uh, really looking like a real jerk. Turning everything black, flies off to the Aegean Islands for another bolt of cosmic power and covers them in ice because he loves freezing things. That's right. I love. There's a there's a nice piece of dialogue there. I like that. It's just so corny. He says, "Here above the warm slumbering Aegean Islands." I shall unleash another bolt of cosmic power and I shall do it now. Yep. <laughs> There's that pregnant pause in there. It's yep. just great. And another, another thing that I like on that page is the center panel where he turns. Actually, is this, La this is not Latveria. It looks like Latveria, but it's a different uh, country in Europe, but it looks like a real Atlas era type drawing that, that, that center when it looks like one of the, um, Strange Tales, Journey to Mystery type. Uh, yeah, it really does. Sense stories. It looks like it's been, it looks like it's been cut out with scissors and just pasted right in here in the middle of the page. I love it. Yeah, that super super thick. I guess Frank Giacoya inking. Like this is where he gets to use like the massive brush strokes. That uh... it's a beautiful piece of art. I love it. Yeah, uh, Joe Sima. Joe Sima did this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you rarely got to see him like lay it on that thick and that roughly it's kind of fun to see uh doom turns a gorilla into a giant monster for 24 hours you know this is one of those little um hooks <laughs> that you would think a modern storyteller would seize on what happened to this gorilla you know i'm sure kirk Busick will have something to say about that at some point he may yeah <laughs> you know he said he would hold the form for 24 hours yeah um that would be an inter interesting story in and of itself but there must have been some psychic trauma to the gorilla when he went back <laughs> To being a gorilla, <laughs> it would be an interesting character study. I think somebody should do it. Somehow, Reed is maundering Doom on what looks like a very large bottle cap. Yeah, this does look like a bottle cap, doesn't it? Um, and uh, he makes a prototype flying device that uh, it looks a little like a bat. He, yes. He throws at the thing, uh, like, oh, sorry uh, to attack you that I had to test it. Ben is not happy about this. Yeah, ben, ben loses it a little here. He, he, yeah. he, he lets his temper get to him. Yeah. So, which is He's not like, uncommon. Great. You know, it managed to tick you off, then it'll do the same thing to do. Great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this issue leaves us exactly where we were at the end of last issue. Right. In terms of the Fantastic Four. I guess we got to see a little more of, of what, you know, it, it was buying time, I guess, yeah. part of this story to stretch it to four issues, yeah. mainly to probably support the Inhumans story, you know, yeah. um, the, the, the FF story seems to have the flavor of filler simply to support the very important, very critical Inhuman story that's taking place in this issue. So here we reach the climax of the story, which is the peril and the power. In the Another great title. Another yeah. great title. The strange thing about this is that 
it seems to be building up toward a gigantic climax. And then at the end, like the Fantastic Four just kind of win because they win. Right. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of the knock on Gene Colan that he didn't know how to pace his stories. And, he, <laughs> you know, he had to sum things up in the last couple pages yeah. because he just let things go on too long. But we know that's not true because this is four issues and a lot of it seemed padded. So, you know, it just is very interesting to me. By the way, it might sound like I'm being critical of this because I'm, but I'm not. Uh, I love every page of Lee Kirby, anything. Oh, it's great. You, you show yeah. me. So I'll take the padding all day long. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you know, it, it, it was a very sudden end that was not really um, worthy of, 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 all, of all the buildup, right. you know, and even, even the last two pages, um, the first panel is the Inhumans wrapping up their story. Yeah. So it's not even two full pages given over to Doom. We still get you know, get some fantastic stuff in the middle. We get another Ben versus Doom fight. Uh, this time it's an explicit callback to Ben crushing Doom's hands. And a similar pose where now the cosmic-powered and weirdly distorted-shaped Doom is... Like he's doing the extra strong squeeze on Ben's hands. Right. Yeah. And another fantastic Kirby triptych of Ben kind of rising up from this kind of collapsed position and getting ready to fight Doom off. Yeah. It's a beautiful sequence. Um, you know, it calls back so many other similar scenes, but obviously the amazing Spider-Man one oh, where, yeah. uh, you know, Steve Ditko proved that nothing could keep Peter Parker down. So here is Ben Grimm against Dr. Doom with the power cosmic, and he does a similar trick. Yeah. Um, and it's just a beautiful scene. So we get a uh, cutaway scene of the watcher where he goes, so, you know, I interfered stuff a little too much. Maybe should I inter interfere in this? Nah. Right. <laughs> gets, and, and it's funny because he gets distracted by, uh, he actually wills himself to be distracted. He's like, I need to quit thinking about this. Let me flip on this TV screen over here. And he flips it on and there's like this brand new species in sector 34, wherever that is. And he's like, Hey, I got to go check this out. This is a brand new species. And it's just interesting because it does help understand how the watcher might look at something. We've spent four issues wondering how this is going to resolve. And here comes the watcher. And we think he's going to see it as important as we do, but he really doesn't because he sees this species that he's got to go study. And uh, it puts things in perspective in a cosmic scale. Um, and I think that's a very clever storytelling device by Lee and Kirby to do that in that way. It's funny how this resolved with, we finally get to see this anti-cosmic flying wing thing. Right. We, we originally saw it as this little bat facsimile, and now we get to see the final product. And it's actually kind of a neat, I, I like the way the panel is drawn. It's, it's rising behind a clueless doom as this, giant uh you know piece of terrestrial uh uh supercraft you know that and it's funny because in the it, it, it's emblematic of a public private partnership between the ff and the, the u.s army uh, have teamed up and uh with tony stark's help and they've with tony stark yeah. figured out a way to to beat doom but um as you can probably masterfully guide us to this is not really what beats him <laughs> yeah no uh he flies off to chase it and then runs into the barrier that Galactus put around the Earth and goes poof. And Ben, who has been suspended in midair instead of being in suspended animation, uh, is freed and hits the ground. And the board starts flying back to Doom's castle. And we will see it in the next issue. Like the board comes back to Doom's castle and suddenly it touches the surfer and he's suddenly at full power again yeah it's a it's a pretty good way to end it i suppose i just wish they'd have given a, the story a little more room to breathe yeah uh, so that they could have led into this ending a little more effectively yeah. but <clears throat> there were some foreshadowing to this you know where um doom just um couldn't you know didn't fully understand the nature of why the surfer wasn't using his cosmic power right. is because he wasn't using it because that cosmic power was earthbound, completely earthbound and, and stuck behind another, let's call it a dome. Okay. Yeah. The surfer's private personal dome surrounding the earth. So there's actually three domes. <laughs> in this right. issue, um, that 
he was never going to be able to use the full extent of his uh, space bearing power because Galactus had made it, made it his prison. And Doom didn't know that. And that was Doom's, the fatal flaw in Doom's logic is what he did not know. Despite that anticlimax, like it, you know, it's a fantastic character study of what Doom will do given enough power. We will. This is about the first time that he gets nearly supreme power of one kind or another. We will be seeing more of those later on. Right. He is really, really interested in getting enormous amounts of power. We still don't know exactly for what yet, but we will real soon. So a couple of months after this story is published. Not Brand Eck comes along. Yes. Can you explain a little about what Not Brand Eck was? Yes, Not Brand Eck was a release valve for all the zany, wacky humor that these creators had within them. You know, Stanley, Jack Kirby, all the top guys, Steve Ditko, they, you know, they had been doing these types of little humor uh, stories, parodies in the backs of some of the annuals and some of the special issues. Um, and they finally said it was such a hit with the readers and that the, the creators were obviously having so much fun doing these parodies that they gave them their own magazine. And that was not brand X, which is a play on brand X, which is, you know, what you would say about your competitors, you know, we're the real deal and they're brand X. Um, but this was actually the story that we're talking about is the very first story in the very first issue. So it was obviously significant enough to be inspired by the four-part Doom Surfer epic to make it the first story that people would read in Not Brand Eck. And that is The Silver Burper. Yes. <laughs> and it's by Kirby and Lee with right. Frank Giacoya and Artie Cynical lettering it. Like it's it's the same people who are doing the original story are now parodying themselves. Which is Yeah, it's 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 really great. And the story must have still been fresh on their mind yeah. uh, because it came out in, uh, I think I wrote uh, August 67. So the last issue of FF that we talked about was in March. So that yeah. we're talking about five, six months here. Um, so it was fresh on their minds. And um, I think they, they got to cover a lot of bases with a story like this because they could bring in not only the FF and not only the Silver Surfer, but Dr. Doom um, and make it sort of just a real extravaganza of FF, you know, for, for FF fans to really laugh at. And it is very much in the style of mad. Like yes. that's, that is the particular kind of humor that they're, that they're doing. Yeah. There's not a panel in these stories that isn't, <laughs> isn't excessive in some way, you know, yeah. there's, there's too much going on in each panel and that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's, sight gags all over the place. There's there's a lot of what Will Elder called chicken fat. It's excessive. It's over the top. It's real silly. Uh, mo its longest scene is the scene of Doom or Dr. Bloom uh, trying to convince the surfer that he's really a nice guy and right. should not be suspicious at all. And right. Yeah, that was, as I said earlier, that, 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 original scene was so over the top that it was ripe for parody. And I, 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 I think that they nailed it here with not brand Eck. It was pretty great, you know, and another thing to tell people is, you know, if you don't have the time to read that original four part Epic, this story actually does a pretty good job of condensing it <laughs> into nine pages. You know, uh, if you can, you know, attenuate yourself to parody, you'll kind of get the story beats from the original story. So it really, yeah, it really pretty much uh, hits most of, most of the big points and does have one gag that is good enough that I've seen it show up without context in a couple of later comics, which is the showdown between uh, Doom and Reed, where Doom is saying, I own a hundred suits of armor and Reed's saying, right. I own a hundred pair of stretch socks. <laughs> I'm the boss of a whole complete country. I own a hundred pair of stretch socks. <laughs> right. Yeah. The stretch socks is that's, that's a funny scene. People owe it to themselves to check that out. It's, it is genuinely funny. And I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> There's one other kind of postscript to this story, which is uh, a kind of half remake of it that came out in 1999 as part of a, a sh very short-lived subline called Marvel Remix, whose idea was that it would be contemporary creators revisiting and kind of playing around with notable stories of the past. And 
there, there's a Fantastic Four one too, and I think there's one other, but there's a two-issue story called Silver Surfer Loftier Than Mortals by uh, Michael Jan Friedman, Sal Voluto, and Steve Geiger, which is, it's roughly this story, but more from the Silver Surfer's point of view. Right. Yeah, I had never even heard of this, honestly. Um, yeah. I took I took most of the 90s off as a, as a comic book reader. Um, we all did. Yeah. And this is sort of at the tail end of that when I started to get back into it. Um, so I missed this and, uh, and it has eluded me ever since because I don't think this has ever been reprinted. Um, I'm sure it will be soon, but um, I, I actually like the premise of um, retelling old stories. Uh, I, I think more, I think Marvel should take more advantage of that and try to do that more often. Um, unfortunately, I don't think this one quite, I think it starts out strong, but I don't think it quite, hits the mark for me it just um it it, it it's funny too you, you mentioned it's a very silver surfer centric story and it is it actually reads like an issue of the silver surfer that lee and busima it reads it reads a lot like that yeah it kind of does the way it's paced and, and the, the nature of the dialogue um it just it just reminds me of, of those that era of surfer storytelling because it, it introduces uh, another character that you've never seen before is that she's a freedom fighter revolutionary that meets uh, the surfer in his prison cell. And so the, the, the second half of the storyline basically uh, becomes his story looking through her life and her, her experience. And that's a similar device that they used in the Libby Sima era. Right. And there's really less focus on doom. It tries to kind of contrast what the two of them respectively do with their power, but it doesn't really do that because there's there's not something that is in the story to make that happen. It, it could have been better, and uh, yeah. but I appreciate the attempt. I didn't yeah. not enjoy reading it, and it's funny. You know, they replaced a lot of the anachronistic uh, storytelling stuff with with more modern um, situations that that would read better for a modern audience. But it just reminded me how much I miss the old stuff because yeah. you know you know I like the scene where Doom appears in a lightning storm on top of the Baxter building rooftop. I like it because it's so visceral and it's so striking and no, it's not realistic and no, it is kind of corny and weird, but I don't, I, that's kind of what I want from Marvel storytelling. Yeah. You know, and they, they erase stuff like that and replace it with stuff that makes sense. And that's fine. Um, you know, but it's, it's just not quite what I want as a reader. Yeah. One thing about um, the silver burper story. Um, yeah. I, I did want to mention that there's an Edsel joke in here and I, I kind of like Edsel jokes and you don't see those much anymore. And I just wanted to point <laughs> that out. But also um, I, I did want to point out that it strikes me through the narrow prism of, of the thing being a funny character, the thing written as uh, in, in not brand X is not very different from the thing you get in fantastic four. Yeah, no. It's roughly the same sense of humor. <laughs> so I thought, I think that's kind of a kind of funny um to, to acknowledge that so i just wanted to mention those two little points yeah. you you can't really you can't make him funnier than he already is no he's he's, he's hilarious i love him yeah. rhett thomas thank you so much again next week james romberger the author of steranko the self-created man joins me to discuss uh, jim steranko's strange tales number 161 to 167 Meanwhile, if you've got any questions about anything having to do with Dr. Doom, this show, or Latvian culture in general that you'd like us to answer, the address to email them to is faithfulretainerboris at voiceoflatveria.com. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswolk, you'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel nerds, the 616 Society. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Walk for the VOL. Douglas Walk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218. His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel comic story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October. Lord Doom commands you to order it. <laughs> Zero, one, six. This is the voice of Latvia. Zero, one, six. Tomorrow, on Balance of Power, Inside the Revolution, in the Republic of Costa Verde, the living laser recently overthrew the tiny Central American nation's dictator general, with the aid of his laser cannon. 
But the Avengers' intervention has again destabilized Costa Verde's leadership. And what of the rebel faction led by El Lobo, which has made threats against the current regime's leader, Juan Elmires? That's balance of power, here on the VOL. This concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies until you die. Thank <laughs> you.